Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Resolute Square. Welcome to the Zero Line, produced by Resolute Square. I'm Sergeant Sarah Ashton Cirillo of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, and every week we'll be bringing you inside Ukraine's war for liberty and liberation against the Russian enemy, while explaining how a victory by us on the battlefield isn't just vital for the Ukrainian people, but for the world as a whole. We will push back against the lies regarding this war for freedom and take you straight to the front lines of the fight for democracy. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Zero Line. I'm Lisa Senecal, Executive Editor with Resolute Square, and I am here with Sarah Ashton Cirillo, live from Washington, D.C. today. I am in the Capitol Visitor Center as we speak. I just came from outside the U.S. Senate, where the Senate Foreign Relations Committee brought Ukraine a glimmer of hope in a 20-to-1 vote to push ahead a bill that would release 300 billion dollars, 300 billion in frozen Russian assets that if it passes the full Senate, the House and gets signed by President Biden would be used to help rebuild Kyiv and give it a definite influx of cash as necessary because the Kremlin has been the actor that created this terrorism that uh, created these billions and tens of billions of dollars in, in damages of civilian infrastructure and not just the lost lives of the eternal heroes on the front lines. Yeah, absolutely. The the funds that are seized from these bad actors should absolutely be funneled to the people who are their victims, and that is the country and the people of Ukraine. So very excited to hear that. We want to definitely hit a few things today. We want to talk about the increased uh, attacks that we are seeing, particularly on civilian populations at the hands of Russia. We do want to get deeper into the U.S. funding uh, for Ukraine, both what you were just talking about, Sarah, but also the funds that are still blocked and sitting stagnant in Congress, our Congress that accomplishes so little and we pay them so much. And we want to talk about what the uh, media is missing in the successes that are actually happening in Ukraine. You know, you would think Russia had 90% of the territory of Ukraine at this point, and uh, Ukrainians were all running around, uh, you know, trying to find white flags. And that just ain't happening. Not only is it not happening, and, and I would love to start with that topic, because there has been so much negativity regarding uh, Ukraine's efforts at, at liberty and liberation. As a, a sergeant in the armed forces of Ukraine, I am very proud of how much we've done to inflict significant damage on the Russian military and the Russian uh, lands as, as a whole. When President Zelensky promised to bring the war back to Russia, he wasn't kidding. And so ultimately, what we're seeing is the near total destruction of the Black Sea Fleet by Ukraine, by the, uh, the Russians' Black Sea Fleet, by Ukraine, despite the fact that we really don't have an operational navy of our own. That's historic. We've also now started to use surface-to-air missiles 
in areas that have had tremendous success in bringing down aircrafts because the Russians weren't prepared for such novel ways of using these uh, longtime weapons in the battlefield. And the way the Ukrainian military is using it has started to inflict damages upon uh, very expensive and necessary Russian uh, flight equipment, uh, such as the AWAC that was brought down the other day. Uh, a couple of Sus have been brought down this week. I believe one of their MiGs was brought down. And then they just lost one of their large uh, planes today that we're still looking into the cause of that, uh, of that crash uh, in Belgorod region. So again, furthermore, and to add on to the point, not only have they not taken 90%, they haven't advanced in the last year plus, including trying to take Edivka, which they were pushing and pushing and pushing. They've lost tens of thousands of men. And as we've talked about in the, in the past, they don't value life. But nonetheless, it can't be looked at as any sort of military success. And that's why I understand that uh, the army I fight for is poised to make significant advances in the future and, and carry out liberation. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, we, we heard when, when Ukraine was able to sink the first Russian ship, we heard about that. And that was big news. And then because we in the United States and probably largely around the world all have the attention spans of a gnat, including our media, there's really no reason to ever go back and talk again about Ukraine being able to have any more effectiveness against the Russian fleet. And, and the same with Ukraine hadn't been able to take down Russian aircraft. Now they do. And we heard about the first one, and now we don't hear about it anymore. So the gains just don't get talked about. And uh, But they, they do like to cover uh, the horrific carnage that Russia's inflicting. Maybe the greatest operation of the war was just admitted to uh, a couple of days ago by General Budanov when we had a group of uh, officers and soldiers from the uh, General Budanov's defense intelligence a group of the armed forces of Ukraine who went 600 kilometers, so approximately 380 miles by foot through Russia to blow up two Russian two, uh, Tu-95 uh, bombers. And they got into a firefight on the way back. And one of the colonels who lost his life was awarded the highest medal in, in Ukraine, the Hero of Ukraine Award. And that's when it came out uh, how we managed to destroy those two uh, bombers. So when you can understand that we can send people 600 kilometers into Russia, destroy their bombers, and then get most of the team back out while keeping it quiet, it just shows what other successes we've had that will just come out once victory is achieved. And it's showing the how uh, thin the Russian military is spread at this point, that not only are they not able to make gains within Ukraine, they don't even have the ability at this point to effectively protect 600 kilometers into their own territory. So, you know, this idea that uh, Russia has this bottomless pit of military resources and expertise and, um, you know, they can, they're, they're not being degraded and they can just go on forever. It's not true. They're importing fighters from Cuba. They have a thousand plus fighters from Cuba on the ground there. They're importing fighters from Somalia. They're importing fighters from across the African continent. They're importing fighters from Serbia, from Syria and from other nations. 
and as well as the slave labor that we talked about from North Korea. This is a country, and we talk about it all the time for the audience who, who tunes in, that is really teetering on the brink of collapsing in on itself. And the media, along with uh, Western governments, led by some of the intringents uh, in the United States Congress, specifically the House of Representatives, need to stop believing the lies and propaganda being put out there. Everyone should watch The Wizard of Oz. Putin is nothing but the scared little man behind the curtain. Yeah, and there's, you know, we tend not to talk about the difference between um, the way people fight, their commitment to the fight, the cohesiveness of a military operation that is being paid for from many different countries who who have no allegiance and and deep burning need to be fighting for Russia. It's money. This is just money motivated. So the difference between that and we know what um, historically smaller, less uh, resource militaries can do when they are people fighting for their homelands and their people. And that's the Ukrainians. Ukrainian morale is still high on the front lines. Ukrainian morale is still high across the country, both civilian and military. A lot of times they cherry pick the stories of people who have gone through really extraordinary situations that are not indicative of the better, bigger, bolder picture of what's taking place. Why? Because that's not what sells. And Ukraine is not a story of what sells and what gets the most clicks. Ukraine is a story of victory, of resilience, and of the idea that it is the front line in Europe against one of the gravest threats to democracy that we have seen in the last 85 years. I am here as a contributor to Resolute Square because Resolute Square understands why democracy matters. The Ukrainian people understand why democracy matters. It's the common thread among folks who just understand that without freedom, and you said it, Lisa, and I've been talking to people because it's such a great point, once you lose democracy, getting it back is nigh impossible. It's a much harder hole to dig yourself out of. And, it, and you know, you're not talking one election cycle to get back there because you probably don't have normal election cycles uh, after that. And, and even be, being able to run free and fair elections again, that's generational stuff that you're talking about after democracy's gone. So let's shift gears a little bit and talk about those pillars of courage and integrity in the right-wing GOP caucus in the house. Let's jump in here. Lisa, I have for a long time tried to really gloss over what's happening with the GOP, because I'll just lead with this caveat. The majority of the GOP, if a bill came before them, would vote to fund Ukraine. However, the strength of the GOP caucus in the House, ever since the collapse of the, the speakership and the debacle with the speakership there, has really been on display in such an astounding way. And when I read that uh, Speaker Johnson abdicated his role as leader of the House of Representatives to Donald Trump, and that he was consulting Donald Trump on decision-making when it came to what matters for democracy, 
that's when I realized we can't hold back anymore in making fair criticisms as to what's taking place. And the Speaker of the House is theoretically the second most powerful uh, human being in the United States government and somebody who could snap his fingers and allow for at least a vote. That's all we're asking for. Allow a vote to come and allow members of the House and Senate to put down on, uh, on, on record where they stand when it comes to this fight against tyranny and autocracy. They're not even allowing it. Why? Because it doesn't serve the purpose of Donald Trump, who's veering more and more towards showing himself to be a, a would-be dictator, a would-be strongman, and an advocate for autocracy. He absolutely is. And, and Mike Johnson is absolutely note that the speaker for those who have not followed the idiocy of the trail of disasters of the GOP in the house trying to even end up with a speaker that they don't fire it's just been such a debacle and and they should be horribly embarrassed that they can accomplish nothing because of this behavior and and allowing themselves to be taken hostage by a fringe group you had mentioned, Lisa, about the money that members of Congress make. The House of Representatives just came back from vacation January 8th of this year. They're not even in session this week in Washington. So even if this border bill uh, combined with the national security supplement was pushed through the Senate this week, the House is not here to begin debate on it. That is so unbelievable <laughs> that there is so much work that needs to be done for the American people and the complete lack of interest in attempting to govern or to maintain democracy, either in the United States or by supporting countries like Ukraine that are on the absolute front line of the battle for democracy. If Ukraine falls, you want to talk about a domino theory. It's not a theory because Putin has come right out and said what it is he intends to do. He absolutely does not intend to negotiate in good faith, stop what he's doing where he is now. It doesn't end with Ukraine. We are getting closer and closer to a NATO country being forced to be involved. We have to be willing to be there for Ukraine. Today, uh, it came out that United Kingdom High Command in their military stated that uh, we needed to be prepared for Russia to attack a NATO country. If Ukraine loses, it was that stark a statement coming from the United Kingdom. This is the United Kingdom, right? This is supposed to be our closest ally. We're supposed to trust what this ally has to say, back them up. It's not enough for us to sort of be willing to be isolationists and think that we're protected because there's an ocean between us and what's happening in Europe. We are a member of NATO, at least as long as Donald Trump doesn't end up back in the White House, because we know that one of the first things that he wants to do is pull the U.S. out of NATO. He wanted to do it last time. He wasn't able to do it. But the plans are, are being put so much more effectively in place. Project 2024 or 2025 is poised to accomplish all of the horrific things that Trump wanted to do in term one that he didn't get to do 
but with more competent people and more planning involved to make it happen the second time. And getting out of NATO is definitely high on that list. The ineptitude of the first Trump administration is possibly the only thing that saved us from a devastation when it came to foreign policy between 2016 and 2020. And again, could not have said it better, Lisa, Project 2025, which is meant to ensure that there is only loyalist and true believers of the MAGA cult that are in positions to effectuate change according to Donald Trump, that would mean all of our international alliances could be flipped overnight. Yeah, it's really terrifying. And, you know, if if we need any examples of just how scary it is, we can look at what's happening in Ukraine right now with the stepped up attacks. You know, we're, we're seeing these escalate. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and I think last week as well. But the attacks on Kharkiv that have happened, the attacks on civilians using weaponry that is so, the ability to target is so poor that there can be no pretense that there there was any effort to avoid civilian targets. They, They want the civilian casualties. I'd like to give context to what you just led into to the audience. For those who don't know, from March of 2022 until October of 2022, and then again from January of 2022 until June of 2022, I was stationed or worked in Kharkiv. This was at the very beginning of the full-scale invasion. When I arrived, the Russians were only three kilometers outside of the city. Even during that time, the city of Kharkiv was not going through what they're going through now when it comes to Russian terrorism. There was civilian death, civilian casualties, but now Russia's, being the terrorist state that they are, are focused on trying to make the civilians cower in fear. So they are sending precision rockets, some which have come from North Korea, so new batches, some that have come from the old Soviet stockpiles, because again, Russia has a lot of weaponry at their disposal, has declared war, not just against Ukraine, but against the Ukrainian civilian population, which, to use another term, is Russian genocide against the Ukrainian people. I made a post a couple of days ago. The only people that we can call heroes in Ukraine, living heroes, are the rescue services in cities such as Kiev and Kharkiv that have to go out there under the risk of further attacks, having to see their friends and neighbors and family being uh, under siege every day, and then they go through the fires and they go through the hospitals, and they just make certain that the fabric of Kharkiv and the fabric of Kiev is not torn asunder. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned the rescue personnel. You know, we in the United States uh, send rescue operations all over the world, and those are incredibly difficult circumstances for people to work under. But as you mentioned, these are people in these small communities in this relatively small country who are again and again having to sift through rubble of their communities where their friends and loved ones and neighbors and coworkers, they are pulling out and putting in body bags um, who were murdered in their sleep 
in their apartment buildings because Vladimir Putin, he is a madman who is not only willing, he is eager to commit genocide. Because the media moves on quickly, as was mentioned earlier in the program, a couple of months ago, and, and this would be shocking in any context except for the way this war is being covered, there was a community of about 300 people. And in an attack by Putin, the terrorist, 50 members of this community were killed, all civilians. So when you're wiping out more than 10% of a community's population and it gets almost no coverage, then there's something truly wrong with how we view the prism of life in 2024. It's also a very clear indicator of the idea that Putin has, which is to just commit terror and then pick up the pieces afterwards. Right. Assuming that if you terrorize the population enough, they're going to pressure their government to fold uh, just just out of desperation to not live under the constant threat of being killed in your sleep. The good news about Ukrainians is that they're not falling for it. They understand that if they cede any amount of, of space to Vladimir Putin, then he will just grow more evil and continue on his rampage. Right. And, and we talked about this recently as well, that the chorus of people out there who are encouraging, you know, let, let's find a way to uh, find a compromise here with Putin and secure a lasting peace. And yes, you know, you might have to give up some land. You might have to give up some of your fellow countrymen, but at least there will be an agreement. Which, when you're talking about Vladimir Putin, he's not an unknown quantity. We know this man's track record with living up to these agreements. He has broken a recent one in the same country that is being encouraged now to make yet another compromise with a man who is trying to wipe out the Ukrainian people. And they are supposed to trust that this time he means it? For those who are encouraging peace, so-called peace, for those who are encouraging peace and claim to be Christians, I ask this question. Would you make a deal with the devil himself? You would not. You would not fall for the temptations of the devil. In the New Testament, Jesus went to the desert for 40 days, did not fall for the devil's lies. We are dealing with the incarnate of Satan here in Vladimir Putin. He's a shell of a human being. It's actually a devil that we can point our finger at and say, we know you are Satan here on earth. And so any deal made with the devil is not only one that cannot be trusted, it's one that you'll pay a terrible price for, for many centuries to come. Yeah, absolutely. Sarah, I want to end on a note of hope because where we started here today, there, there is hope both in funding, finally moving forward with Ukraine as it should have a very long time ago in larger amounts. And we should be giving Ukraine everything they need to end this quickly because the cost of this is not only in money as it drags on, you measure this in the loss of human lives and that count keeps going up. So how are you feeling about the, the possibility that we're going to get this funding 
and of as we continue to move through these winter months, what does the road ahead look like? It's going to be difficult. I can't spin it. It's going to be questionable because there's this desire to prove a point instead of a desire to win a war in the House of Representatives. And we just have to see how the courts react to the repo bill that would unleash the $300 billion. While I believe that will pass, again, the question is, is it going to be considered a valid law? And so all we can do is push ahead. But as my commanders have said, we will fight with rifles if necessary. I will be back in country. I'll be back at the zero line within a week or two. I'll be back in Kiev within a few days. And I'm going back because it's my duty to continue carrying out this fight against the Russian Federation until they allow Ukraine to return to the country's 1991 borders and are made to face justice in The Hague. And I call on everyone, and this is, again, why Resolute Square is such an important voice for democracy. I call on everyone to read Resolute Square, to listen to the podcast, not just the zero line, but every podcast coming from Rick and Reed and Stuart, because it breaks down why democracy is so important. And that's why I understand I have to go back and continue the fight because democracy in Ukraine means democracy across the world. Sarah, we appreciate you being here. We appreciate you going there. It's a sacrifice and and I think an honor at the same time to be able to fight uh, with the people of Ukraine. And we so deeply appreciate your commitment to democracy and for uh, sharing your time with us every week. And we will talk with you again next week when you are back uh, speaking to us from Ukraine. Looking forward to it, Lisa, as usual. And thank you for everything. Thank you for listening to The Zero Line, a podcast brought to you by Resolute Square. Resolute Square's mission is to inform, lead, and connect. And The Zero Line is one of the tools that followers of Resolute Square can use to fight back against tyranny while championing democracy. Please like and subscribe to The Zero Line wherever you podcast and follow us on Twitter at Resolute Square or visit ResoluteSquare.com. Thanks once more for hanging out at the Zero Line.